Welcome to the Susquehanna Valley Baptist Pulpit, preaching a life worth living, abundant life in Christ. And now the message. Anyway, Genesis chapter 18, we want to begin reading at verse 17. The scripture says, And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him. And they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. And the Lord said, because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it which has come unto me, and if not, I will know. And the men returned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom. But Abraham stood yet before the Lord. And Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Peradventure there be fifty righteous within the city. Wilt thou also destroy and not spare the place for the fifty righteous that are therein? That be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked. And that the righteous should be as the wicked, that be far from thee. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And the Lord said, If I find in Sodom fifty righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. And Abraham answered and said, Behold now, I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, which am but dust and ashes. Peradventure there shall lack five of the fifty righteous. Wilt thou destroy all the city for lack of five? And he said, If I find there forty and five, I will not destroy it. And he spake unto him yet again, and said, Peradventure there shall be forty found there. And he said, I will not do it for forty's sake. And he said unto him, O let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Peradventure there shall thirty be found there. And he said, I will not do it if I find thirty there. And he said, Behold, now I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord. Peradventure there shall be twenty found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for twenty's sake. And he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak yet but this once. Peradventure ten shall be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for ten's sake. And the Lord went his way. As soon as he had left communing with Abraham, and Abraham returned unto his place. If I was to title the message tonight, it would be God's love for the lost. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now in the name of the Lord Jesus, and I beg you again tonight for the filling of the Holy Ghost of God. I realize, Lord, that physically I only have the power to speak to the ears of men and women, and for the message to do any good, it's got to go deeper than that. It has to go to their heart. So I plead with the Holy Spirit of God to take the message deep to our hearts. Lord, challenge us, convict us, change us to be the people that you'd have us to be for your glory. May we have the mind of Christ in this matter of the lost. And Lord, we'll thank you for all that you do, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now everybody's familiar with the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, those wicked cities that God would destroy. But you know, as you think about this situation with these cities, they're also a testimony to the holiness of God. They're a testimony to the wrath of God. 
They're a testimony to the judgment of God, but also to the love of God. And they're a testimony to the mercy of God. And they're a testimony to the long-suffering of God. And they're a testimony to the grace of God. And they're a testimony to the fact that God hears prayer. And he answers prayer. As a matter of fact, when I first got this message around, I thought that maybe the title ought to be How One Man's Prayer Saved a City and How Another Man's Life Lost It. Because God answers his prayer. Right down to ten righteous people being found there. Now, before I get into the message... Let me give you a couple of observations. First of all, God knows all about our sins and our righteousnesses. God knows you. You know, the scripture says in Psalm 139, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsetting and my uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compasseth my path and my lying down art acquainted with all my ways. There's not a word in my tongue, but thou, O Lord, knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before and hast laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. Well, we could go on through the remainder of the psalm. But it's just amazing. God knows every bit of us. He knows every part of us. He knows everything that we think. He knows us. And you remember in the book of Revelation, chapter 2 and 3, he told each of the seven churches of Asia Minor, he said, I know thy works. And then he expounded on their works. You take the church at Ephesus, the very first one, all of their works were good. I mean, everything he says about him, that was good. And then he says, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. Thou hast left thy first love. You see, he not only knows your works, he knows what's going on in your heart while you're doing them. He knows whether or not you're just doing it out of a duty or somebody expects it, or you're doing it because you love Jesus. He knows all about you. He knows everything. And obviously, he knew everything about Sodom and Gomorrah. He knew something about Abraham, too. We'll say more about that. By the way, there's another thing here, and that has to do with the fact that God is long-suffering. If you go back to Genesis chapter 13, when Lot made his decision to go towards Sodom and Gomorrah, the Scripture says that he didn't make the decision to go into Sodom and Gomorrah, but to pitch his tent towards Sodom and Gomorrah. And when he did that, in Genesis 13, 13, the scripture says, Now the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners exceeding. So you have to go a few years when you get finally to chapter 18. They've been wicked all this time. And God has withheld his judgment. Why? God is long-suffering. And I'll tell you what, thank God for that. He'd have wiped me out a long time ago. I mean, we've got a number of verses that say it. Of course, Exodus 34, 6, And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. In Numbers 14, 18, he says, The Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, and by no means clearing the guilty. In Psalm 86 and verse 15, But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering, and plenteous in mercy and in truth. Also, I get to thinking about this story, and as the Lord comes up with two of the angels upon Abraham, 
Of course, he says to the two angels that are with him, basically, should I tell Abraham? And he decides to tell Abraham, and the reason that he gives is found in verse 19. He says, for I know him, that is, I know Abraham, that he will command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. You notice it didn't say that he was going to let his kids choose how to act in his home. He knew that Abraham would command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord, that they may do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken unto him. You see, now that's true, that's a point. He did that because of Abraham's, Abraham's commands with his family. He knew Abraham. Because he's teaching us something about himself, he's teaching us something about prayer, he's teaching us something about our impact, your prayers do make a difference. Now, we just went through a horrific, another horrific election time. And I know you dear folks in Pennsylvania, we had it easy in Alabama. I mean, we've got some people with sense. But anyway, I mean, we... (laughs) We had it easy in Alabama, and this is the first election in quite a while. It, it wasn't constant bickering, and this guy's bad, and he's worse, and, but he's even worse, and he's dumb, and he's stupid, and this guy. Man, we didn't have any of that. It was just, it wasn't like, it was like it wasn't even an election time. We had that part pretty good. And we get all caught up on it. And a lot of Christians get involved in campaigns, and I'm not against that. It may need to be done. But I'm going to tell you what. If we spend as much time praying for these people as we spent complaining about these people, I believe God would change some hearts. I believe that my prayer can make a difference. I believe it can make a difference in my city. I believe it can make a difference in my in my county. I believe it can make a difference in my state. I believe it can make a difference in my country. And if Christians don't get to the place where they believe that, someday we're going to be stuck in the rut because I got news for you. The ballot box is not going to change our nation. Prayer closet. That's where we need to be. We need to be a people of prayer. Hey, if God doesn't answer prayer, then why pray? We're commanded to pray. We're supposed to pray. We have not because we ask not. And according to 1 Timothy chapter 2, we're to pray for all those that are in authority over us that we may live quiet and peaceable lives. It's the will of God that those people get saved. I know we get disgusted with it, but... He's taught us some things about that. But what Abraham gained in prayer, Lot lost in self-indulgence. So let me give you the points. First of all, in the story, I see Abraham's premise. If you look at verse 23, it says, And Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Now that's an interesting statement. You see, Abraham knew his nephew. He knew that he was saved. Now, that's interesting. At least he believed he was saved. So he says, Wilt thou destroy the righteous with the wicked? You understand, Abraham didn't have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He didn't have any of those books. 
He didn't have Joshua. He didn't have the book of Psalms. He didn't have any of that. Uh, that's going to be written by Moses a few hundred years later. Uh, not, not right now. But this man had an understanding of God that a lot of people who've got all 66 books of their Bible do not have. So here he is. He says, he says um, wilt thou destroy the righteous with the wicked? Now, this is interesting. Go down to verse 25. He says, that be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked, that be far from thee, shall not the judge of all the earth do right. Now the reality is, when it comes to Lot, if we didn't have the statement of Second Peter chapter 2, verses 7 through 9, none of us would believe he was a saved man. There's absolutely nothing that we see in his life that gives an indication to us of salvation. Now that's because he had vexed his righteous soul from day to day. I mean, you can get so bad, you don't look any different than lost people. And yet you're still saved. Evidently, that was the case with Lot. And every time I look at that, I said, Lord, that's amazing. I'm glad you told us that. Uh, that would have been a lot of good messages for us if he went to spoke up about that but Abraham believed that his nephew was saved but here was his belief in God and remember for Abraham here's a man he didn't have scripture yet and so he believed that the God of heaven would not destroy the righteous with the wicked now also in second Peter our first Peter chapter 2 he makes it plain that God can separate the righteous from the wicked and thank God in final judgment he's going to do that but the truth is, saved people suffer when God brings judgment upon a wicked nation. And people die. Do you realize? When Mao Zedong took over China, there's millions of Christians who were put to death. Born-again believers that were put to death. Under communist rule in Russia, millions of believers were put to death. Under Nazi Germany, believers were put to death. Not just Jews. People think only the Jews are put to death. There were a lot of Christians put to death. A lot of pastors and church members that were jailed. I mean, that's reality. That's the way it is. The truth is, when God pours his judgment upon a nation, yes, believers suffer with unbelievers. The Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 15, were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? Nay, they were not at all ashamed, neither could they blush. Therefore they shall fall among them that fall. At the time that I shall visit them, they shall be cast down, saith the Lord. And he repeats that again over in Jeremiah chapter 8 and verse 12. So God does judge, yes, the righteous with the wicked. But Abraham didn't think God would do that. And he asked God the question. He says, won't the God of the whole earth do right, thinking that if he does, then Lot's got to come out of that thing alive. Now, in chapter 13, Lot pitched his tent towards Sodom. Chapter 19, he is sitting in the gate. In chapter 19 and verse 7, he's calling the people of Sodom. Lot is. He's calling the people of Sodom brethren. Brethren. Here was a very open-minded man like a lot of Christians are today. And I submit to you, God doesn't want us open-minded. He wants to believe it's Scripture. In Psalm 1, he said, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. 
Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6, 17, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you and will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Today's churches are trying to get the church to be like the world in order to reach the world, and it doesn't work that way. Lot didn't reach anybody in that city, did he? His influence was worse than zero because he couldn't even influence his own family living in that city. You see, we worship a holy God who hates sin. We sing a new song. We are to be a different people. Well, so that brings about a question then. Why did God tell Abraham, why did he tell him about the destruction? I believe the answer to that, and I'm going to spend more time on it in just a little bit, is because he wanted Abraham to pray. And he knew that Abraham would pray. Now, we see, we see Abraham's premise, but we also see in that God's passion. If you look at verse 20, And the Lord said, Because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done all together according to the cry of it, which has come unto me, and if not, I will know. Here's the thing. God is not in a hurry to send people to hell. You realize God's not willing that any should perish? The Bible says that he has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. God doesn't like it that he has to pour his judgment out upon those who walk contrary to his word. So he knew Abraham would pray. When I say God's not in a hurry to send people to hell, I mean God had already pronounced the judgment day on Nineveh. Think about that. Forty days and you will be destroyed. Well, why did he send Jonah there? Why did he give the call to Jonah? He wasn't in a hurry to send them to hell. He wanted a prophet to go there. Now, the prophet didn't want them to get saved. Now, to me, the story of Jonah is absolutely amazing. I mean, here's the, here is the prophet that had the worst attitude of all the preachers in the Old Testament, and he had the best revival. And he wasn't even happy about it. He was upset. Could you, could you imagine having a big Sunday, having 300 people get saved, not hundreds of thousands like they had in, in Nineveh, and it, man, you had 300 people get saved, and the pastor's upset because now these people aren't going to hell. You think, man, you have, you have just, you got a bolt loose somewhere up there. That's a problem. When Israel was in wicked sin, God pronounced judgment. Ezekiel chapter 14, well, he did that in many of the chapters in Ezekiel. But 13, 14, and 20, he did that. But even with the judgment that was coming upon Jerusalem, coming upon the temple and all of that, the Bible says of God, and I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. And then he gives those sad words, but I found none. God is not in a hurry to pour his judgment out upon people. In Exodus chapter 32, Moses has been up on the mount for 40 days. God has given him the tablets of stone written by the finger of God, and Moses has enjoyed that wonderful time of fellowship with the Lord. And I believe the Lord enjoyed that time of fellowship with Moses. 
Meanwhile, back down the mount, after Moses had been gone for those 40 days, the people came up to Aaron. They said, up, make us gods that brought us out of Egypt. As for this man Moses, we don't know what's happened to him. And so he said, bring all your jewelry in. And then he made that calf. And he said when he made the calf, he said, tomorrow we will have a feast unto the Lord. He said, Israel, these be your gods. Now, that feast of the Lord, whenever you see in the Old Testament, Lord spelled in all capitals, L-O-R-D, all capitals. That is always the name Jehovah. Calling that calf Jehovah didn't make it Jehovah, of course. It was rank idolatry. It was a breaking of the very first commandment something that they were not to do. They had pledged before Moses even went up in the mount that they would uh, do everything that God had already said verbally, audibly in chapter 19. But here they are, they've disobeyed that. Now God could have just wiped them all out right then. God's wrath came upon the scene. Moses asked him why why he had that wrath and God tells him, And God said, I'm going to destroy them all, and I'll make of you a great nation. Why did he tell Moses that? Why didn't he just destroy them? He wanted Moses to pray. He wasn't in a hurry to send judgment upon those people. What a long-suffering God that we have. He's a God of love, but now the world, they don't understand that. They think that God is some old man with white beard sitting up in heaven going, tsk, tsk, children. You just don't understand. In that movie, The Ten Commandments, right after I got saved, I wanted to see it because I thought that ought to be interesting. And in that, when God judges his people in that movie, Ten Commandments, now that's years and years ago with Charlton Heston, or Carlton Heston, whatever his name was. He was president of the NRA for a while. I remember that. But he said, they don't understand. They don't un-. Listen, that wasn't Moses. I mean, he was, he was standing up against God's judgment. Well, that's not the case. Moses did what Abraham did right here when he found out Sodom and Gomorrah was going to be destroyed. He went to pray. Just understand, God's passion is for the salvation of sinners. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God is angry with the wicked every day. Yes, Psalm 9, uh, 7 and verse 11, but it's always anger under control. His wrath is against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, but it's always wrath under control. Whereas he is merciful and slow to anger, when he looks for a way to spare man, He'll try to do it, but if man doesn't turn, his judgment will fall. You can count on it. As he said in Genesis chapter 6, my spirit will not always strive with man. Writer of Proverbs said, He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. Bible warns us in Proverbs 27, 1, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. His passion, God's passion, is he wants to see the sinner saved and he wants to see the backslidden right with God. So we got Abraham's premise and we got God's passion. Well, then we've got this truth. Abraham's prayer saved the cities. He starts out pleading for 50. 
Then he pleaded for 45. Then he pleaded for 40. If there be 40 righteous there, 30, 20, 10, God says, all right, I'll not destroy it for 10. Now, I, I don't know if he'd have gone down to five. If he'd have gone down to five, but would God have answered that? I don't know. He stopped praying at 10. And so he's got the word. Now, what was Abraham thinking, do you think, during this time? I mean, after all, we know Lot had at least two daughters in the house, and it was he and his wife. He had sons, so he had at least two sons, if it's more than one. He had sons-in-law outside the house. That's going to be a couple more daughters. We know that in Lot's family, there should have been, there should have been at least ten who were just, who were righteous before God. And I think personally, Abraham probably stopped praying right there because God said he'd spare him. Lot has over ten in his family. With ten in his family, it's going to be fine. Unfortunately, though, it wasn't fine. Understand that this is not Sodom's prayer. This is Abraham's prayer. Obviously, Sodom, they weren't concerned about any kind of judgment. But this is Abraham's prayer. He wasn't praying for Lot. You read that story over again. He never mentions Lot one time. He doesn't say, God, spare Lot. You see, by his premise, he knew Lot was saved. He knew Lot was just, that Lot was righteous before God as far as salvation is concerned. And since he believed that God wouldn't destroy the righteous with the wicked, he's not praying for Lot. He's praying for Sodom and Gomorrah. He's praying for the harlots. He's praying for the prostitutes. He's praying for the Sodomites in the city. Now think about that with Abraham. I was preaching this on a Sunday morning a couple of years ago, and we had a young a young black lady who sat in the back. Matter of fact, I said, lady, she looked to me like she was about 14 years old. And I'm preaching away, and I got to this part right here. Well, and I could see a change in her as I was preaching, and she ended up coming forward. She got saved. I found out after the service she was she was working at the strip joint just right around the corner, a half mile from our church. And she came out to our service that day. And she found out that God wants prostitutes to be saved. God wants harlots to be saved. You know, we got something wrong with us. He came in the world to save sinners. We look down on them with disdain. Hey, they're lost. They don't know any better. They're lost. Christ came and died for sinners. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of man, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Hallelujah, what a great Savior we have. There may be lost people here tonight, I don't know, that the only reason, the only reason you're not in hell is because someone's been praying for you. Think about that. That someone has been pleading with God for you. We started attending First Baptist Church in Otsego, Michigan, so I could play softball with the church team. We knew nothing about God. We, we had no interest in God, nothing to do with God. And I remember when I got saved and came forward on that first Sunday in December of 1973 to make public my profession of faith in Christ. And I had people come up to me and they said, Mike, we have been praying for you. I didn't know anybody prayed for me. I didn't know anybody even thought about me. 
But their prayers may be the very thing that kept me alive till I got saved. Listen, Abraham prayed, he got his prayers answered. You see, but the reality is, if that sinner doesn't turn to Christ, they'll still die and go to hell. We find that our prayers can save our country. Second Chronicles 7, 14. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. The only way the worldly can even get through is to turn from their wicked ways. That's just reality. Now, go over for a moment to chapter 19 and look at an interesting verse. At this, at this point, judgment has fallen and is beginning to fall. And it says in verse 29, it says, And it came to pass, when God destroyed the cities of the plain, that God remembered Abraham. It doesn't say that God remembered Abraham's prayer. He's destroying Sodom and Gomorrah. It says God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow. Well, since Abraham didn't pray for Lot, what does he remember about Lot? He remembered that Lot, or that Abraham, believed that God would not destroy the righteous with the wicked. And because of his affinity for Abraham, he spared Lot. You know, when judgment, before judgment began to fall, the angels told them to get out of there. Lot didn't leave on his own. The angels had to grab him by the hand and take him out of the city. He would have perished there if those angels hadn't grabbed him by the hand and taken him out of the city. And preacher, I've got to say, there are times as a pastor, as I preach against sin, I feel like there are times I have to go up to people, they're locked into the world, they're locked into the worldly ideas, the world philosophy, to the worldly styles, and I feel like I have to go and take them by the hand like those angels did a lot to try to pull them out of the city. What a shame that people just won't automatically follow God. By the way, Lot didn't pray for his city. We don't find... Lot lives there. Abraham doesn't live there. Lot doesn't pray for his city. Have you prayed for your city? I mean, you'd think he had something invested in that city, didn't he? He had, he had some daughters and sons-in-law and had some sons. He had an investment in that city, but he's not praying for the city. And he had the word that it was going to be destroyed. He went out and told his family it was going to be destroyed. But he seemed to them as one that mocked. They didn't think. He was a hypocrite. He's a, who's he to tell us about the judgment of God? And we look at him and I, I say, well, I agree. That appears that's exactly the way that it was. One man's prayer saved a city. By the way, have you... And I've heard people doing this, and God has brought churches to cities that didn't have them, not because a preacher went, but simply because somebody would pray over the city. I know of a few cities in Russia that have Bible-believing churches today in those cities. And it's all because somebody got a burden several years before that to pray for the city. We were down in Saltillo, Mexico, went up into one of the rancheros. They had about 500 people at the ranchero up in the mountains. 
And there was a sweet old Christian lady up there who had been praying that someone would come to her little village and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. About a year after we went there, a missionary went, started a church in that place, and shortly after that, she went on to glory. And I don't have any doubt that the work that was done there was done because there was one person who prayed that God would get something started right there for their people. Well, what's Lot's problem? Well, Lot's problem, obviously, is that Abraham stopped at 10. And we already went over why he had at least 10 people in his family. You remember what God said to Abraham, a man who was in control of his house. Now think with me for a moment. What is Lot's problem? Why couldn't Lot dedicate himself to raise up his children? He had a great example. He was brought up in Abraham's house. When he said, when God said, I know him that he will command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord, to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon that which he has spoken unto him. Now, I wonder if Lot ever said, you know, I'm going to let my kids do what they want because Abraham drugged me to church and I don't want to go. Yeah, he drugged me to church. I, I, I don't want to go. Well, okay, what about the situation now? When it's all over, his daughters and his sons-in-law are dead. His wife is dead. His remaining daughters are harlots. And he's shamed. But Abraham still got his family intact. Still got his household intact. I don't know why it seems so distressing to some people who claim to be saved to live godly and be faithful to the house of God, be faithful to the Bible, read the Bible, and bring up their kids under the Bible. Man, to me, that's liberty. I mean, that's building something in your kids' lives. You live without God and you see what it does to your children. Now, I know that God judged Sodom because of their own wickedness. But they would have been spared for Lot's righteousness if Lot just would have won his family. And here's the thing. They didn't have to be godly. They just had to be saved. And all those people died. Yes, God has a passion. He does not. He does not enjoy sending people to hell. God does not want to judge people in their sin. He's long-suffering. But judgment comes. God's going to keep his word. The God of love does send people to hell if they don't take Jesus Christ as their Savior. God's love for the lost, we just get disgusted. We get disgusted. All those bars over there. All, well, why are all those bars over there? Because there are sinners that haven't been reached, that's why. And whose job is it to reach them? That's our job. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. What we need to do is get busy reaching our city. What if somebody prayed for your city? I don't know what number they would stop at. Harrisburg's pretty big. I'm sure it's bigger than Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, but if someone was praying for your city, are you praying for your city? Surely every preacher ought to be praying for the city he's in. Praying for God to spare the city. Praying for God to move upon hearts of the lost and give us more righteous people, people saved that are just on their way to heaven. And of course, Asking God to move upon their hearts to live for the Lord.
Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact us, please write us at P.O. Box 126-541, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, 17112. And visit our website at www.svbcpa.org. Until next time, 